Hi, I'm Miranda. And I'm Stephanie. We've been friends for more than 15 years. I live in Ottawa. And I live in Winnipeg. I'm raising two girls. And I'm raising two boys. We're both wives and working moms who do our best to make it all work and to enjoy our empowered lives. We think feminism is still a work in progress in our homes, our workplaces, and our politics. And we love to learn, especially from other women. So we started Women Don't Do That to talk about issues women care about today and to inspire us to do whatever it is we think we can't do. So pleased to have Caroline Riseborough, President and CEO of Plan International Canada, one of Canada's largest charities joining us today. Professionally and in her personal life, Caroline is a champion for women and girls and multiple times has been named to Canada's top 100 most powerful women list. Before joining Plan, Caroline held many senior roles in leading organizations, including the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health Foundation and World Vision Canada. In addition to her impressive professional credentials, she's involved in her community, is a chronic mentor, wife, and mother. Caroline, you were my vice president at World Vision Canada. You exemplified for me that becoming a VP as a young woman was possible. And I believe I'm becoming the leader I am today because people like you saw potential and invested in me. So thank you. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's kind of full circle having you join us, so thank you for taking the time. I wanted to kick things off today by asking you, what motivates you to live your best life? Mm, well, you know, some days I have to admit I don't feel like I live my best life, I think, which is the case for any um, mother or parent trying to, you know, balance work and a, a demanding career with, with life and with children. Um, so let's just put that out there because I think it's important to create uh, realistic expectations for folks. Um, you know, what kind of motivates me to, to live my my best life? You know, I think my best life is really feeling like I'm contributing and making a difference to the world and creating a place where everybody else also has the chance to live their best life. And, you know, it struck me really early on that um, depending upon where you are born in the world, um, some folks get the chance to live their best life, others don't. And even the whole term best life doesn't exist in many countries. So I think that that's what motivates me, realizing that um, I have this privilege and can I use this privilege then to extend this privilege to so many millions of women, girls and children that don't have it. Wow, that's so important to hear. I think that will lead us into my second question, which was about What is PLAN and what do you do? Mm -hmm. So uh, PLAN Canada, as you mentioned in your uh, intro, is actually one of the um, largest charities in Canada, but we're also a global organization working in over 75 countries around the world. We're about 80 years old, but I would say we like to sort of reinvent ourselves every uh, few years. Um, We are really an organization focused on children's rights and equality for girls and gender equality. And we believe strongly that um, every child, every young person, every girl, woman, man and boy should have the chance to truly unleash their their full human potential, Mm. regardless of where they were were born. So that's what we work uh, towards. We have um, about a million Canadians who support us. We're known well because I'm a girl campaign. And each year we help um, over 6 million children around the world. 
That's amazing. It's such an important work and you can tell you're passionate about it as as you speak to it. One of the things I thought would be interesting to hear about is that you were my vice president at World Vision Canada and you advanced in your career really quickly. And young people often have a hard time breaking that barrier in terms of getting into management. What advice would you give to young women who want to move up in their careers? You know, for for whatever reason, and I think there's just a number of factors, I think I always believed I could, like, I deserved a seat at the table. And Sheryl Sandberg Mm. talks a little bit about this, you know, in in her book, Lean In. Like, you know, women and and young women in particular struggle to believe that they deserve a seat at the table. But I always felt I had ideas to contribute, that I should have a seat at the table. And I don't know if it was a combination of just, like, sheer gumption and grit and maybe a bit of hubris in there. I, I, I don't know. But I think it was because of that I had these um, opportunities to advance. I think so often, and I see this a lot, um, young women disqualify themselves mm. or, or um, almost rob themselves of the chance even before they put themselves out there because they might not believe that they really kind of deserve a seat at the table. And I, I think then when you're at the table, um, you've got to really speak your mind and realize that, yes, you can be different. You might look different just because you're a woman and you're younger. Mm-hmm. But actually, this is what the world needs. If, if um, you know, the current uh, state of, of leadership, which can sometimes um, look uh, very monochromatic at times, um, you know, if it was working, we wouldn't still have a lot of the challenges that we have. So we need different viewpoints at the at the table. And um, I think that's what we can can bring. So I think it was having that mindset that allowed me to move move up in my career. I also, you know, want to acknowledge that I, I had people that believed in me too, because I delivered. And I think that that's another key piece. It's not just good enough to be at the table and share your voice. You also have to actually take action and deliver and and follow Mm -hmm. through. So that that combination of, um, you know, getting stuff done, uh, being bold, speaking out, I think it's, that's sort of what the magic mix is. It's probably not that magic, but for Mm -hmm. me, that's, that's what's worked. That's amazing to hear. It makes me think about the role that we can play as managers too, to make sure that people speak up for themselves and and have their own voice with our staff when we're in those situations. I've already started with with my kids at restaurants. They're only five and eight, but you know, if they want something, if they don't ask for it, they don't get it. And um, in other situations, they're very uncomfortable asking for things. But I think just starting at a restaurant is at least a place for them to start where they can learn that if they ask, they can they can politely, they can get what they want. Uh, you're a champion for women's equality at home and abroad. This is, you live this personally, you live this professionally. I thought that it would be helpful for people to get a snapshot of where you think we are at in terms of gender equality. Well, I think the most important thing to recognize is that no country in the world has achieved gender equality, including here in Canada. So, you know, oftentimes, and, and I've heard some men say this, you know, I was I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago and they said, you know, I when I talk to my daughter, you know, she doesn't feel like she has any barriers. You know, I think when I talk to women, they don't feel like it's an issue. So I think we've arrived here in Canada, but we've got to focus on the rest of, of the world. And that's actually one of the most dangerous attitudes we can have, because all of the data says otherwise. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we take a look, for instance, on the uh, Toronto Stock Exchange, there is not one woman who leads 
one of the top 60 companies listed on the TSX. And of those same companies, two thirds of them don't even have a single woman among their high earners. Uh, you know, when we take a look even um, around the attitudes of, of girls and women here, Plan recently did a survey across the country and we found that, you know, in the teenage years, for the most part, girls believe that they're equal to, to boys. And then as soon as they kind of move from that um, adolescent stage into womanhood, that drops to less than half of them believing that they are equal to, to men. And so, um, you know, and I could, I could list off so many more stats that prove this, but we really do have a challenge with gender equality. 75% of young women have felt that their gender somehow holds them back. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's a huge statistic and that's here in Canada. Oh, I was just gonna say, I love that you guys are doing this type of research and pulling this data um, because it it does give that proof that these things exist. We have information from Statistics Canada. So it it takes away some of those narratives that people develop and say, actually, the facts say say this and it's evidence based and it's so important, the work that you're doing. Thank you. And, and I think that that that's part of the um challenge you know we don't necessarily have all of these stats handy in Canada um so you know what when I say we truly haven't achieved gender equality in any particular country that's absolutely the case Canada included you know around the globe the the stats are even um worse off obviously you know we know 12 million girls are forced into child marriage each year you know some as young as nine and ten um oftentimes sold into marriage because their family don't have resources. We know childbirth is still the second leading cause of death from of, of girls sort of 15 to 19, even though we know how to prevent all of those deaths. Um, you know, young girls still face things like gender-based violence, discrimination, um, you know, not allowed to kind of work and participate in the economy. So it gets much worse around the world. But I would say what's really interesting about what I mentioned earlier is that this time of adolescence when when young girls start to become women is one of the most vulnerable times in their life and we find that in canada with their perceptions and then we find that around the world when they face things like like marriage and pregnancy wow yeah it's it's you know we we have moved the dial obviously but it is it's so helpful when you think of that global perspective because um there is so much more to do, not just in Canada, but certainly abroad. And I think it's it's important to remember that. And um, some of the campaigns that you do obviously help address some of those issues. So it's really important work. Can you tell us, you know, this is the snapshot of where we're at. What do what are some of the actions we need to take to move the dial? You know, I think there's a couple things. You know, first of all, we have to discuss the issue. Mm-hmm. And um you know, not put out kind of false narratives. So we shouldn't be saying, oh, we've achieved gender equality in Canada. We need to be honest with ourselves to say there's still lots more work to be done. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, even look below the surface at some of the statistics. So for instance, you know, yes, for the most part, we're seeing equal number of men and women in working roles. But as we dig below the surface, we still see that most of the minimum wage jobs are held by women, that women still do a disproportionate number of hours of sort of free work in the home. There's, you know, women are picking up all the free work in the home, which then prevents them from doing the paid work. Um, 
So, you know, we've got to look below the surface and start to actually, um, you know, understand what the barriers are for, for women's advancement. So I think starting to have that conversation when um, girls are, are young is really, really important. The other piece I think that's so critical in, in this is engaging men and boys in the discussion. Yes. We oftentimes think that the fight for gender equality, it's a woman's fight. Let's continue to, you know, ask women and girls to, to you know, um, move the dial. However, it's also about men too. And where we've seen some really remarkable progress is when actually men can come to the table, not just merely supporting gender equality, but being drivers of it as well. So I think um, those are the really kind of two key pieces, you know, dig below the surface, talk about it early, and we have to engage men and boys. Mm, I, I listened to your TED talk, uh, which was, is it TED talk Don Mills? Is that right? If people are yeah, looking for it. Yeah, Don Mills, TEDx Don Mills, I did it with, yeah. Yeah, and it was all about that. And I loved how you said how women are already leaning in and we need men to lean into. And I think that was really important because it's it's true in many cases, it's like we're doing what we're doing, but the dial isn't moving that much, right? So what else needs to happen? And it was great to kind of hear that there were other solutions we could look at as we already are exhausting ourselves. Yeah, exactly. You're a mother of boys. So for mothers of boys out there, what advice would you have for them about raising raising them? Yeah. You know, I think that um, mothers can have a wonderful, uh, or mothers do have a wonderful opportunity to shape their their boys. So I have a 10 year old son, um, you know, he knows all about gender equality. I, uh, you know, rehearsed my TED talk with him too. <laughs> um, and, you know, we have these discussions together. So he understands that the boys and girls are equal and that he's part of the solution. And so I think that, um, you know, this is where we have an opportunity to really shape the, the future generation. Mm -hmm. I think it kind of goes back to what you said earlier too, about just having the conversations, right? Um, my partner in Women Don't Do That, Miranda, has two boys and I have two girls and she's doing that. She's having those conversations and I'll say something sometimes and she'll say, don't forget about my boys. It's also important for my boys. I'm like, oh yes. yeah, it is. Um, so it's it's really great to, to hear people's perspective about that as well. And, and can I just say one thing, Stephanie? I think what people don't realize is that gender equality also impacts boys. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember I was in Ottawa and um, I was hosting a discussion with a school and it was one of our, our plan champions for change clubs. And usually, you know, th these are clubs where young people get together in schools and they talk about issues of gender inequality. And for the most part, you know, there's a lot of girls and the girls were going around and they were talking about, you know, social media having a negative impact on self-esteem. And then we stopped at this boy and I was really curious to hear why he was part of this. And he said to me something that will always stick with me. You know, I'm 15 years old. Um, my father died when I was really young. I was raised by a single mom. And as a result, I'm not your macho, stereotypical male. I'm not into sports. I'm not tough. I'm more sensitive and I'm more introverted and I'm more quiet. And because of that, I've been bullied my entire life and considered suicide. And so, you know, there's a perfect example of how a young man was also impacted by these gender stereotypes that reinforces these harmful forms of, of masculinity. And so, um, you know, I say to moms of boys too, gender equality is good for your boys. 
Yes, and just it's so important for boys and girls to if you imagine a world where where you could really be yourself, right? And um, I often find for myself some of my professional characteristics that I'm strong in are probably considered more male. And so I don't fit into that box often um, where people say like most girls in professional positions are kind of stuck here and they need to get out. I'm kind of in that other box sometimes, which also can be not appealing to some people. And uh, so I, I yearn for that place where people can really own their strengths, be who they are, whether you're sensitive or, or you're not, obviously everybody be respectful, but it's uh, the world would just be such a different place if we could do that. Um, sometimes I hear people say, you've sp- spoken to this a little bit, and I'm wondering if you can speak on it further. Why does gender equality or feminism matters, or why can't companies just hire the most qualified people for a position? <laughs> what do you say oh, to those question. people? <laughs> You know, I I think people don't realize that there's also, I think, unconscious bias, right? So we're drawn to people who are like us. So, um, and this is the challenge. So if you have, you know, a panel, let's say, mainly male looking to hire, um, you know, for a role, they will probably choose someone that looks like them, that acts like them, because that's what they know, that's what they're comfortable with. But then that just continues to sort of reinforce, um, you know, the... The, the exclusion then of people that bring differences to the table. You know, I remember I was working at an organization. I was hiring for a, a director role. Um, you know, we were doing some final interviews. It was me, and actually, you know, I, um, it was a panel of of me and and um, you know four other male counterparts, and all the males wanted to go with the male candidate. And, you know, at the time, my gut was saying, no, like, this is not the right fit. It's not the right person. Um, you know, th- th- this isn't the place for for him. But the males were keen on it. And so we hired this, this gentleman. Um, it really wasn't the right fit. It wasn't a good thing for him. It wasn't a good thing for us. And, you know, I realized I should have listened to my my spidey sense. But it goes back to who was on the panel in the first place. We're trying to bring in people that, that sometimes you know, fit our mold. And that doesn't make for, um, I think, the equality that we need. So it's not, you know, when we say let's just hire the most qualified person, people don't realize that they inherently bring a bias around what qualified looks like. They're going to naturally see the person that looks most like them as the most qualified at times. Mm -hmm. And I like what you said about unconscious bias, because it goes to that point that people don't even realize they're doing it. And unless they take something like unconscious bias training, they don't even realize what they're, what they're doing. And I think that's so important because it's like, of course, companies should hire the most qualified people, but that's not actually what happens. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people just don't look into the issues, aren't as passionate about them maybe as somebody like me to, to realize that, that, that is the case. But I hear that a lot, even just starting the podcast, the amount of people that said things like feminism is a dirty word, like why it has such a negative connotation. Like, why are you having conversations about that? And I'm like, it just, it means equality. Like, what are you talking about? So it's been very interesting starting this process and having these conversations, um, the kind of feedback you get. 
And you know, th there's a famous study that they did with um, orchestras. So if you look at orchestras across the globe, you'll see very few women are musicians in orchestras. And so one of the orchestras, I just can't remember which, which one it was, started actually putting people behind screens when they would play. So they couldn't actually look at them. All they could do is hear the music. And um, what they found is it dramatically increased the number of women in the orchestras because when it just was judged on sound and they couldn't actually see what the people looked like, they actually chose more, more women musicians. So there's a perfect example of unconscious bias. Wow, that's an amazing story. It makes me think of the voice, pop culture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, except for I guess then you can kind of tell the sound a little bit more. I wanted to talk more about the survey that you did on confidence in girls and boys. And are there other things that have kind of come out of there that you haven't spoken to yet that are interesting? I know there were some points on mentorship or different things like that that were brought up as a result. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, so just for background for, for the listeners, um, you know, this, this survey was done with a thousand young women across Canada. And um, we looked at women sort of in their teenage years, and then we looked at women in um, their, their early 20s. And, you know, the, the survey results kind of boil down um, to the fact that in the, in the teenage years, women are sort of being told that they're equal, that the world is their oyster, that if they study hard and work hard, they can do anything. And so they, they do that and they feel fairly confident and they're kind of sold this, this bill of goods. And then they get out into the working world and they, and they see what life is really like out there and their confidence drops. We found that women um, started to try and change the way they acted they started mm -hmm. to change the way they looked and they, um, you know, that's where I put my hand up and be like, I did, I've done that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and they just didn't feel um, like they really deserved a, a seat at the table. Um, what was also interesting in that is that when we looked at the whole issue of mentorship, 65% of girls said that they've never had a mentor or, or yeah. don't even know where to begin with having a mentor. And what's interesting is if you look at another stat um, around mentorship, it, those people who have mentors are 30% more likely to advance in their careers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, this paints a bit of a bleak picture and shows us that we need to make some changes. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's amazing because when, when you have a mentor, they're the ones that sometimes, they get you out of your own head, right? So when you say, I can't do that because this, they'll say, that's a lie. You can, you, you can totally do that. I do that to people all the time. I'm like, no, like you're lying to yourself. You need to move past this. You do have the qualifications or the skills or whatever. I think that's so important. And I think you're, what kind of advice would you give to young women who, who are having a hard time finding a mentor or just don't even know how? I mean, I would say a couple of, of things, you know, first of all, um, I am a bit critical of this mentor-mentee relationship mm. because, you know, what it kind of does is it sort of says, um, okay, you know, you go find someone with lots of power and then have them use their power to try and advance you along. As opposed to folks realizing, and I think this is what you're saying, you have an innate power in and of yourself. Mm -hmm. but we can sort of, you know, get into our heads and, and tell ourselves lies where we don't believe that we're worthy of, again, having a seat at the table, or we don't believe that, um, you know, our ideas count. And so mm -hmm. what I say to young women, like, first of all, 
you can be a great self mentor. You know, it's, it's that self talk. It's that positive talk. It's overcoming, I think, you know, the, those, those lies that we tell ourselves. Um, you know, the second thing is, is make everybody your mentor, you know, I love it. Everybody has something that they can give you where, where you can learn from them. But also, um, you know, if we assume everybody has power, then everybody can help you in some way, shape or form. You can learn from them. You can build a relationship with them. And then in return, you can do the same for them. So I think that's a much um, better way of looking at it than just saying, okay, I'm going to find this one person who's probably so tapped out in terms of their own time in the first place yes. and really hope they choose me when actually you can build a whole network of people that are your kind of informal mentors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think it's an important thing to consider because even for me, I find depending on what kind of advice you're looking for, you're actually looking at very different types of people, right? There might be somebody where you say, this is my first full-time job. I don't know what to wear to work. You know, you talk to somebody about that. Or um, I want to negotiate a raise, but I don't know how to do that. You're talking to somebody else. And again, you might be looking for somebody who's in an industry that you're not in. So it's a different person than you would talk to for something else. So I think that's a really important uh, piece. And, and it makes it more natural and organic as well, I think. Mm -hmm, exactly. In terms of those engagements. And I think sometimes people are probably surprised by the people they already have in their lives. And then it kind of tweaked my mind too. what you said about mentors is how do we then as mentors, make sure we're, we're actually empowering people, asking them the questions that will tweak their own selves, right? It's not just about us saying, well, this is what I did. So you have to do it my way, but pulling, pulling out the, their own selves and their own ability to do things. Yes, exactly. And I think too, you know, if we look at the fact that really like we can be a mentor to everybody, which is, you know, in a way kind of unleashing the power um, of, of everybody we come across to be their best self, going back to your first question, then I think um, that is way more powerful than saying, okay, I'm going to choose this one person and, and mentor them along the way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that so much. Think about how different the world would be yeah, exactly. Tip of the day, everybody mentor everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I want to close off uh, first by asking you, what is a book that changed your life? You know, I was thinking about this, this question. I mean, there's, there's so many, but um, I remember I had to read these two books in my very last year of high school. Like this was the big project of, of the year. And um, it was uh, Madame Bovary and um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the book, but they made the movie with Daniel Day-Lewis and Michelle Pfeiffer. I'm going to come back to it. Okay. If you don't, I'll find it. We'll put it in the show notes so people yes. will be able to find it. It was by Edith Wharton, and I'm trying to remember the name. Anyway, so so there's Madame Bovary in the book by Edith Wharton, and they're total two opposites. And Madame Bovary, she's like totally controlled by her emotions and she kind of just she lets it totally destroy her life she she runs them up by only listening to her heart and on you know the other book um the, the main character listens only to his head and never to his heart and misses mm. living so they both miss out living um because um they listen to kind of their their head or heart over the other and I think that just kind of changed my life in so many respects because, you know, in order to really be your true self, you need to listen to both. And I think 
oftentimes women are told they have to stop listening to their heart and listen to their head more and that there's this superiority in listening to your head over to your heart. But it makes for, I think, a really sort of shallow existence where you you can miss out on how much you can can really give the world. And I think I ended up where I am because I, I wanted to find, you know, a, a role in my life where I could, um, you know, use my head, but do something that appeals to my heart. Uh, and, and hence, you know, I, I work and lead this organization. So I would say it's, it's those two books combined um, that I think really had a lasting impact on me. It's amazing when you think about the impact that books can have on people's lives. Exactly. Amazing. Can you tell us how people can stay in touch with you? Uh, sure. So there's a number of ways. Um, you know, I live uh, at Plan Canada at 235 <laughs> Eglinton here. But um, you can follow me on on uh, Twitter, um, you know, at C. Riseborough, my last name. Yeah, I try and update with people through Twitter and I usually respond if people send me private notes. They can also follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn too. So uh, I'm, I'm always open to connecting with great people. Uh, we will um, put all that in the show notes so it's e- easy for people to find. Thank you so much for your time today, Caroline. It was uh, wonderful to touch base and have some time. And I'm sure we will all appreciate and learn uh, from your wisdom as well. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated. Thanks for listening to Women Don't Do That. We hope you're inspired to do whatever it is you think you can't do. Find all our podcasts and blog content at womendontdothat.com. We are excited to share that we have new Instagram and Twitter accounts. Follow us at Women Don't Do That. Please visit our website to leave us a comment and leave a review wherever you listen. Join us next time.